0: Hello and welcome to Partially Redacted, a podcast where we discuss privacy and security, engineering and related topics. I'm your host Sean Paul Pinter, and today I'm joined by Pramod Raghavendran, ex-Google, ex-Coinbase, currently enjoying a break before he starts his new adventure in the new year, and we'll be talking about privacy's intersection with other functions within our organization. Pramod, welcome back to the show.
1: Thank you, Sean, great to be back here.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for coming back. You were last on the show, actually about a year ago, when we discussed operationalizing a privacy program, that's actually one of our most popular episodes that we've done. So it's great to have you back. Before we get into today's topic, you know what's kind of new in the last you know twelve months or so since I last spoke to you?
1: Yeah, I think there's a bunch that has changed. If you remember, um, since a year ago was around when ChatGPT launched, and yeah. that's kind of created a hockey stick kind of a, a growth for for AI, especially generative AI. And every enterprise, every business uh, wants to associate themselves with AI, leverage AI as best as they can. and I think that's created uh, some very interesting edges from a privacy standpoint, some very interesting considerations about how uh, data should be processed and managed um, and and on the on the personal side uh, in in this last year, I've become a dad for the first time, and uh, as I was getting through paperwork for for our little one, I I peeked inside some of the processes, some of the photo requirements for passports, and um, and then uh, there are so many third party tools out there that promise to give you passport size photos processed. And just looking at privacy notices about what they do with the pictures, there's a lot of scary stuff out there. So it was just exposed me to a new edge of, of, of privacy there. And then every little thing that I bought for the nursery uh, comes with this card, which has kind of your registration details and then has an open form where you can put in your name, address, phone number and send it back by post for warranty and that sort of stuff. And that, that stuff is open. It, anybody can read it along the supply chain of your letter, making it from your home to the actual vendor. So it was, it was interesting. Uh, while I've enjoyed fatherhood, it has also exposed me to the privacy aspect of children's data along the way as well.
0: Well, first of all, uh, big congratulations you. on becoming a father, that's amazing. And then do you think as a privacy professional, you know, spending your career in privacy, maybe, you know, too much. It's just like, you know, there's a little (laughs) bit of like ignorance just bliss when it comes to some of this stuff. Cause it is really scary. As you start to know more and more, you really start to kind of like notice these little things. Well, maybe they're not even little things, but you know, where everybody's kind of asking you for information and you start to question, like, you know, why do they really need that information and how are they storing this thing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, Knowing the behind-the-scenes of how data is processed and how data is used makes it really hard to consume services. I always second-guess myself. I'm always worried about what's happening. But, well, well, I guess it's good because I'm learning a lot from that, and in my roles, I've always had the opportunity to create an impact for a broader set of customers who perhaps don't know enough about these sorts of things. So. I take that more as, uh, as, as healthy friction that I'm, I'm introducing for myself so I can help a lot of other people better.
0: Yeah, you get a it so that you can uh, learn how to, how to help. You mentioned, uh, you know, ChatGPT, they just had their anniversary, it's been about a year. Of course, everyone's, you know, especially the last six months, I feel like every conversation is talking about AI and LLMs. How is that impacting and changing? What's sort of top of mind for privacy engineers right now?
1: Yeah, I think um, there's just two perspectives to that that I want to bring, right? One is, if you really think about data process for AI, it's kind of, the fundamentals are no different to any other data processing pipelines. You've got data that's being consumed, it's being used for certain purposes, it has a life cycle, the life cycles are very different in AI, uh, but then ultimately, some of those primitives are are the same, in the sense, are you using personal data, or are you not using personal data? If you're using personal data, what are you using it for? Um, Are the outputs aggregate or are they personal in nature? So some of those questions remain constant. Yet, what AI has introduced is a set of new challenges that that you've got to worry about. And bias is a very, very important consideration when it comes to privacy. Um, So bias comes in many different forms, hallucinations, et cetera. And if you really think about those, those AI diseases, if you will, the medicines for those are not even in trials yet. That's how nascent some of those those uh, those technologies, those problems are. Uh, but the adoption of these technologies on the AI side is so rapid that there's a huge gap in between uh, adoption and having protections and ability to deal with uh, data uh, in the AI space. So I think that's what's top of mind from privacy practitioners' perspective. As a leader, I always worry about... Uh, the risks that we're introducing, especially the long-term risks that we're introducing with AI that we perhaps don't even comprehend today. For example, when personal data makes it into a model, it's super hard or perhaps today there's no known way of actually getting it out of a model, right? Unless you retrain all up uh, from scratch. So what are enterprises doing today that uh, perhaps is irreversible, that perhaps may not show up as risk until a few months down the line? This, I think, is, is is what a lot of leaders are going to be worried about. This is what they're going to be thinking about. On the one side, you want to be an enabler and enable the use of AI, the adoption of AI, while being careful about some of the risks, both short-term and long-term, being introduced.
0: Yeah, I mean, even in this last week, there was a story that came out about, um, I think, researchers at Google were able to yes. manipulate ChatGBT through prompts to actually pull out uh, like PII. And you think of all the expertise and, uh, sort of like level of scrutiny that open ai is under and how much resources they're putting into trying to you know really walk down their system and they're still having a hard time doing it so I think you know for anybody out there that's thinking about investments in this space like you know they have to be considering you know how good are they at actually being able to you know protect customer data fully through the life cycle of LLM. when Basically, the people who are like the leaders at the forefront of AI are still struggling to do
1: that. Absolutely, and I think the most jarring thing is imagine explaining that risk to a business person who wants to launch AI and and, and kick a goal to say, "Hey, I've adopted AI." Right? It's it, that that's the that's the tension that we are faced with in terms of uh, how privacy is going to adapt itself and and ramp up to to ramp the business up in in terms of knowing what some of the risk edges are overall. All right. Well
0: well i'm sure we'll we'll probably uh, dip in out uh, of ai as as we talk such as the nature of any conversation in technology today but sort of transferring to the topic at hand uh, regarding uh, a uh, essentially privacy's intersection with other functions i think like one of the places where privacy sort of intersects with other functions uh, predominantly um, especially as people who are maybe don't know a lot about privacy is with regards to security, a lot of times people lump these functions together, but they're, you know, actually quite different. Certainly, security plays a role, but there's parts of privacy that have nothing to do with security. So, how are you know maybe culturally and also technically, privacy engineers different than security engineers?
1: Yeah, I think this is a question that um, a lot of people have on their minds. So, I, I want to take a moment to define what a privacy engineer is. Right? It's a very emerging term, so I think there's a lot of confusion there too. Privacy engineers are on a spectrum. On the one side of the spectrum is an engineer who basically is able to look at a product, a feature, a piece of code, a piece of software, assess it for privacy risks and provide advisory and guidance in terms of what's the right way to uh, build that feature or implement that feature. So I, I call that the advisory end of the spectrum. And on the other end of the spectrum, you've got a software engineer who's building privacy solutions, like building privacy primitives, building pseudonymization frameworks, building encryption frameworks, building uh, consent management uh, platforms, et cetera, that are also called privacy engineers. Uh, Traditionally though, security engineers have sat on the advisory end of that spectrum. So for the purposes of this discussion, we'll consider the privacy engineers on the advisory side of the spectrum, which might make a more apples to apples kind of uh, a, a comparison. Before getting into the differences, I think there are two broad similarities that we should leverage and, and and always keep in the back of our minds. Both these types of engineers should have an adversarial mindset. They have to look at how can things be broken to be able to do their jobs well. And the second is they both have protection or trust as their primacy, primary goal in mind. So these two things are common things that you should look to leverage, look to build around in terms of setting up your, your privacy engineering and security engineering capabilities. But it doesn't stop there. There are lots of differences. Um, if, you, if you think about it first, there's a regulatory dimension. Privacy is a lot more regulated than security is. And I say a lot more because there are some, uh, some regulatory compliance considerations like SOX and SOC that you will find in the security side But nothing as comprehensive as the GDPR or the CCPA or the CPRA that exists in the privacy space. Being regulated, privacy has some very different considerations than, than security itself. That bleeds itself into the kind of personas that each of these engineers look to solve for. If you take a security engineer, the persona perhaps they're solving for is an adversarial outsider and an adversarial insider. On the privacy side, apart from the adversarial outsider and insider, you have a regulator. You have an average customer who has rights uh, that you have to uh, provide uh, and support. You you have the the press advocate who's going to look at your privacy features and perhaps write articles about that. So you've got a variety of different personas to think on behalf of to solve for privacy considerations. So there's a big difference, and I think security teams have still not gotten to that level to kind of understand some of these other edges. Um, And um, finally, if you really think about it, security focuses a lot on the control plane in your architecture, right? It's about controlling right from the nuts and bolts to the, the data in transit and the data at rest. Uh, whereas privacy goes a step further than that to look at the data plane, which is what's the schema of the data? What's it being, who's, it, who's using that data? What is it being used for? Is the extra length that privacy needs to go to. Fundamentally, privacy sits at the intersection of data type and data use, whereas security focuses a lot on the data type, um, little less on the data use perspective. So I think these are some of the fundamental differences that you would see between security engineers and privacy engineers. And you should take that into consideration as you set up these features. Uh, the best way to think about it is there's a Venn diagram between those two, right? Privacy requires security and security requires privacy as well. That's, that's kind of uh, where things are.
0: Then you mentioned essentially the, this kind of um, two parts of data, the data type and the data use. What's, what's an example of data
1: type? Let's take email as an example, right? Um, if you take a financial institution, um, an email is required for KYC purposes, know your customer purposes. But the same email is also used for marketing purposes. Now, when you think about it from a security perspective, what you're doing is you're protecting an email, right? You classify an email as, as a particular classification, right. let's say confidential, highly confidential, whatever your internal taxonomy is, and associated with that, you have some handling considerations. Encrypted at rest, encrypted in transit, um, least privilege access, et cetera. But when you come to the privacy side of things, the email used for KYC and the email used for marketing are C's apart. If you think about your your KYC, perhaps you can use contract performance as your justification under regulations to process it. For marketing, perhaps you need consent. Very different. Um, how long can you use data for? For KYC, perhaps you can use it for as long as the account is active, and maybe for many years after for regulatory compliance purposes. Whereas for for marketing, there's a use-by date by which you can use that information before you seek consent again. So very different handling considerations. A simple example, but hopefully accentuates what that differences could be.
0: Yeah, another example of that that was it happened in the last years with uh, at least I think it was last year was with Twitter. They had phone numbers that they were using for two FA, and then they started actually marketing to them as well, which was fine from a security perspective, but is not fine from a privacy perspective. same idea that you're talking about with the email there, and you know, and I think that's one of the challenges that companies have is sometimes you know understanding what was the original um, uh, sort of I don't know rules of engagement with the collection of that information. Right? If you're just a marketing person and you see like, hey, we have all these phone numbers we're not using, and, and you might not you know, think like, oh, I, I need to figure out what was the consent involved or what was the sort of rules of engagement or promise that we gave our customer when we collected that phone number, what was the original use
1: Absolutely, yeah. I think uh, it's notice and disclosure, the choice mechanisms that you provide to your customers, what that legal justification is for you to process that information, data minimization, and how you're going to retain that data. These are considerations that perhaps uh, are incremental on top of what security would consider when they assess uh, handling of data. So how
0: do these organizations' privacy and security and maybe privacy with other functions, how do they typically work together and collaborate?
1: Yeah, there are many different ways that um, organizations set up these two teams and I've seen them uh, across my last three or four jobs. I've seen that be very varied as well. So here's an example, right? Uh, Security is a fairly mature body of knowledge uh, uh, as, a, as an organization, as well. And typically, you tend to have dedicated security organizations. Privacy being still in its infancy, nascency, uh, there are still models being worked out in terms of how best to operate there. Um, I've seen privacy teams sit close to the privacy and engineering, sorry, the product and the engineering functions. I've seen privacy roll into the CISO organization, very close to security. I've also seen privacy sit within the legal function. So really depending on where privacy sits, I think how the two teams interact has been very, very different. Apart from talking about how they're different, how they're leveraged, I think if, if there was an ideal way of operating, um, the way I would think about it, it is abstracting some of the fundamentals. If you really think about it, security cares about observability of data. They observe it to achieve security outcomes. Privacy needs to observe data as well to achieve outcomes there, right? And then ultimately, on top of the observability, you've got policies and a a set of risks that could eventuate. Similarly, on the privacy side, you've got that commonality. And then on top of that, essentially, what each of us as leaders need inside organizations is actionability. What can you do with all of that data that you that you build? So if you start to model your organization around that framework that I mentioned, some of your core technology sits at the bottom, where you can talk about things like IAM, your asset management, your data inventory, uh, your your core frameworks like tokenization, pseudonymization, uh, etc. Can sit in that common engineering tier at the bottom as, as, a, as a core and then on top of that you can build specialized security functions that sit on top of it specialized privacy functions that sit on top of that and then drive some of your policies and outcomes overall that's that's ideally how I would set up uh, engagements uh, if, if I had the opportunity to start the inslate
0: and in terms of where privacy sits like what the reporting structure is that does that also determine you know where it fits in that spectrum that you're talking about like if it's in the legal department, is that perhaps going to, are you going to be focused probably more on the advisory role versus if this is a product in engineering, they're probably, I would assume, leaning into more of the engineering aspect of privacy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's true. Um, but having said that, uh, I've seen privacy teams sit inside legal. I'm seeing less and less of that. Uh, happen these days. I think there's a recognition that privacy needs to be closer to product and engineering. Uh, and and that's where a lot of uh, organizations are putting their privacy teams. There are some organizations that continue to keep that within within the security organization. There are pros and cons to both of those. And I think both of them are models that that evolve and work out. And then
0: how does the privacy organization, and perhaps you know, in collaboration with the security team or or maybe with product and engineering, actually ensure the protection of sensitive data and information and that they are you know following essentially the um, whatever the regulations are for the type of information that they're collecting
1: yeah I think um, I think the, the important thing is to look at risk dimensions that each of the teams own right the, the security teams and the, the the privacy teams if you look at the security teams DLP is a huge consideration data loss prevention, both internally and externally. You, the, some of the primitives used to to protect against that is classification of data and then uh, managing access controls. Privacy leverages that as well. Yeah, in terms of access controls, we need to know uh, who has access to data and what are they using it for. So there's a fundamental there. Um, so I think it's, it's coming up with common roadmaps to see how tools can be leveraged uniformly across the board while addressing each of the Risk surfaces. So, as an example, I think there's understanding the entire catalog of data that you're processing. Security folks would call it your crown jewels within it. In, in, in privacy parlance, yes, you do have your crown jewels in terms of uh, what's most important from a business standpoint, but then you also have what's sensitive from a privacy standpoint your biometric data, your location data, your health data, these are really, really sensitive stuff that you need to be absolutely careful about. So uh, understanding where your data is, understanding uh, how that data is uh, being processed, by whom and and, and where it's flowing, is gonna be super important. So those are some of the common problems that you would look to solve for, that observability tier that I just talked about. And then beyond that, uh, it's about partnerships with the teams, I think at the layer of mechanisms, when you talk about an engineering team and saying, hey, I have a new feature to launch. I need to get a privacy review. I need to get a security review. Do I need to get two separate reviews? Can I go to one spot and get two reviews done behind the scenes? These are some of the organizational considerations that need to be uh, thought through. And how privacy sits within an organization will determine some of that. If it's inside a CISO R, chances are, I could just create one request to say, hey, I need a review done for this particular feature. Behind the scenes, you get security, you get privacy, whoever else that you need to get involved, review that, provide some guidance, and then you you kind of streamline things. But if you've got very differently situated teams, then perhaps two separate reviews to look at each of the the, the individual considerations. Uh, But ultimately, it is leveraging the tooling layer which is uh, your, your, your infrastructure layer in terms of some of the primitives, uh, using the mechanisms layer in terms of how you can interact at the mechanisms layer, and then ultimately the people layer as well. Um, uh, uh, making sure that from a training standpoint, from an engagement standpoint, you also ha- have partnerships with the people that you work with so that privacy and security can be uh, in log step as they make progress on things.
0: Pardon the interruption, but it's me, Sean, the host, talking to you directly I hope you're enjoying the episode. if so, please subscribe and leave a positive rating or review. You can also join the partially redacted community at skyflow.com community to make show suggestions, interact with me, other listeners, and privacy experts and enthusiasts. All right, now back to the show. I and mean, then in terms of like decisions around, um, you know, software investments, like maybe even, you know, what database or, you know, warehouse solution you're going to use, Would privacy engineering be contributing to that mostly from guidance about how they should actually be safely using those tools and how they should be storing the information and using the information? Or are they actually involved in the decision-making process of which
1: tools are actually purchased? Um, Privacy does get involved in terms of which tools are purchased because there are risk surfaces you've got to think about, right? Ultimately, when you have third-party tools coming in, uh, the data processing agreements that you need to have um, you you have to establish the roles that each of the the parties play right the organization you work for and the third party controllers processors who controls what who processes what so definitely privacy gets involved in those sorts of things. I think privacy would care less about the technology choice itself uh, more about some of these uh, these these privacy dimension based based considerations um, security cares a lot more about some of the 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 fundamentals right uh, is it is it a saas based solution that you are using is it going to be within our dmz uh, then who has access to it from the vendor side uh, so those sorts of considerations we would delegate from a privacy standpoint to the security function to to evaluate and and leverage but ultimately i think privacy has an opportunity to influence the the type of solutions that are being sought after right as an example if you think about it Thinking about privacy by design, you need to build privacy within frameworks. Um, What is a framework? You you talk about tokenization. You talk about uh, building, uh, building a privacy vault as an example, right? That's a fundamental framework piece that has an enormous impact on your ability to handle privacy obligations across the globe. So if, if privacy teams can influence choices of those sorts of technologies, then I think that's that's the, the right maturity for an organization to be at, where, where you can actually influence the change in the compliance rather than just being a reactive team, taking assessments and providing guidance.
0: Yeah, so in that case, the, you know, privacy leadership or the, you know, privacy engineering function would be guiding hopefully the, the product and engineering organization around either, you know, Implementing things from a privacy by design standpoint or investing in sort of these technologies on the forefront that people in the privacy engineering space are you know, well versed and know about, but maybe someone from a traditional software engineering background doesn't know about.
1: Yeah. And if you really think about privacy engineering teams today, the number one risk that these functions face is they're being perceived as blockers or that engineering teams are paying a tax to talk to the privacy team because we are putting uh, extra requirements on each of their their features before they launch. Uh, Unfortunately, that is true because of some of the obligations that enterprises have from a privacy standpoint. And if you start thinking about uh, managing privacy and compliance on a per-feature basis, it's definitely going to seem like overhead. So, if you you take a step back and look at this holistically, uh, there are much more elegant ways of solving problems that, that would require some upfront investment, but it'll pay for itself very, very quickly. right? Today, uh, enterprises' number one problem is data sprawl. And within that data sprawl, personal data sprawl, there's so many applications. The, the surface area of where personal data is available and accessible within enterprises is so significantly huge that your compliance burden is that much uh, big as well. Um, if you aim to reduce that sprawl by by localizing your personal data into a small, well-protected area, then you start to manage some of your compliance costs overall in, in terms of how you, how you run your compliance uh, processes. right? And then building some of the fundamentals like data retention, data deletion, data access into your framework pieces also helps you get some of that for free as you launch new features. So these are some of the primitives that I think privacy engineering should uh, look to influence. Uh, and again, there's a philosophical discussion about a build versus a buy. Where do you buy versus where you build? So these are places where I'd like to see privacy teams be more uh, more more proactive and have a seat at the table to have these conversations rather than just take things reactively.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, it's like if you, especially in the early part of building a company, if you're you're sort of optimizing for speed in the early days, you might take on a lot of like technical debt essentially. In, in the privacy world that leads to this huge like PII sprawl problem that at some point becomes just like a, a cost center for you to do anything both in terms of time management and it also puts your business further at risk. It's kind of like you know you can move faster by building a, a complete monolith infrastructure to begin with but at some point there's going to be a cost associated with that because it's going to slow down your dev cycles because everyone's sort of building on the same code base and your, your build cycles and deployment cycles really really start to slow down. So at some point, you've got to you know, break that thing up. And in the, I think in the, in the in the pricing world, it's like you need to consolidate and minimize the footprint.
1: Yes, this is the classic short-term gain for long-term pain problem that, that you really have. Um, it, it's, it's a legitimate approach to take, especially when you have time to market considerations uh, when you launch product features. But uh, you've got to recognize that it's a trade-off with the total cost of ownership. Over a period of time, your total cost is going to increase if you don't reinvest in in your in your tech debt to kind of burn that down.
0: And then, are there best practices or lessons that you've learned from your experience in terms of you know, fostering collaboration between the privacy function and other department, and also not you know avoiding essentially this situation that privacy departments can get into, where it feels like there's like friction between them and the product engineering organization?
1: Yeah, um, I think. Uh, from being considered blockers uh, or the office of no, I think uh, that's kind of the top problem. And addressing that early is very, very important. What I have figured is building a culture around privacy is super important. Um, there are many ways to do that. You could, uh, you could define a set of uh, privacy principles, start to showcase that across the organization. Privacy trainings are a lot, uh, uh, have a lot to do with uh, building that, that muscle up across the organization. Um, I've seen a lot of trainings be kind of self-service, uh, go to your, uh, favorite training portal within the organization, click next, 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 a few slides, and then a few questions and answers and done. But that's less effective than actually having face-to-face, getting cohorts of people into a room and having a very engaging and interactive learning session about privacy I've seen has worked wonders in terms of not only educating people about privacy, but, but also, um, making sure that they can start taking ownership for privacy. Privacy is not owned by the team that sits in the corner. Uh, you, it's owned by everybody in the organization. Uh, and I think building that muscle is super important to make sure that the office of no or the blocker team perspective is, is actually gone. The, the second, I think, is um, getting people to shift left. Typically, as uh, organizations that are not As mature from a privacy standpoint, start to operate a a privacy function, things are are absolutely to the right. Before I launch something, I'm going to reach out to a privacy lawyer and the new privacy team and say, hey, can I launch this? And at that time, you're basically left with zero options, right? You say, yes, launch, everything's good, or yes, launch, you've got these risks that you have to remediate later. Ultimately, those are kind of the first uh, options that you have. But Shifting left from there and coming uh, into the earlier uh, stages of the conversation, in fact, right at the early stage of inception of an idea, is where I'd want to take privacy teams, right? Once you start doing that, I think it becomes a lot easier for privacy teams to engage with the other teams. And it's not just product and engineering teams. If you think about uh, privacy itself, your HR teams, they use a lot of vendor products. They deal with a lot of employee data if you look at uh, google docs and spreadsheets that's p- perhaps the place where most employee data lives in a lot of organizations that's that's huge privacy risk as well uh, you talk about marketing teams they they deal with a lot of sensitive data uh, so finance teams as well, Um, they, they have their own sets of data that you have to worry about too. So I think it's more than just product and engineering. It's about taking privacy to all of these cross-functional partners within an organization, elevating the profile of privacy and making sure you're able to support them through the mechanisms that you create for them. Um, and I think the most important thing is privacy is a shared responsibility it cannot be owned by the team that sits in the corner that is called the privacy team. So anything that you can do to make sure everybody in the organization starts to take a little bit of ownership um, while the specialist privacy team is there to assist them and help them, um, that's the ideal state to kind of uh, work your way towards.
0: Yeah. At the beginning there, you were talking about the idea of just, you know, having a meeting, like essentially instead of doing these like self-guided, uh, like education where everyone's just like clicking the next button while checking their email as quickly as possible, you know, bringing that into an in-person thing. But I think, you know, we we tend to underestimate the value of just like simply face-to-face where uh, and like, you know, building relationships. And that's such a high value thing, not just from the education part, but you know, essentially making in this case, the privacy function feel like you know, these are real people, and I know who they are, and now I can talk to them. And you understand, you know, what are they? What what, what you know um, are they serving or the responsibility within the business? How can I leverage them and so forth? Is going to fix, I think, a lot of this, uh, you know, tendency of thinking of them as the the office of no and, and being a source of friction. Yep. So we talked a little bit at the beginning um, about. AI and how essentially every company right now is becoming an AI company and there's a lot of you know challenges in the world of AI even though we're all excited about it in terms of security privacy compliance governance. so are you seeing you know privacy teams jump in and, and take an active role in the AI and what happened and what's happening in terms of AI innovation right now?
1: Yeah I had my team jump on it straight away. Uh, I think a lot of other teams are as well because uh, uh, thanks to a lot of the activity around the privacy uh, fraternity as well, right? If you think about it, uh, IIPP has done uh, a, a good job of coming up with an AI governance framework. Uh, there's a lot of training material out there for AI governance that has started to to, to come up as well. There's lots of podcasts, webinars, et cetera, happening about this that kind of is highlighting that this is an important aspect. So I think all of that is good. Um, although while When you think about operationalizing some of that into the organization, I think there are a couple of uh, different ways that that you could go. Again, you could create AI governance as a function of its own and start to create a parallel uh, stream of tools, mechanisms, lots of those things. Or you can take AI for all of its commonalities and start to integrate AI governance into your security governance, into your existing privacy governance, into your compliance functions where they're already existing, but you get guidance on AI as well. My preference is for that latter approach, if you really think about it, AI is just a different use case. As an example, when, uh, when biometric data began being used widely, we did not create a biometric governance model when location data started to become available, we did not create a a geolocation governance model. What we did was we enhanced our existing security governance, our privacy governance mechanisms to deal with the specificities of geolocation data, biometric data, or other such sensitive categories of data. I'd like to see that happen more with with AI in terms of, yes, the body of knowledge is good. It has to exist. It has to to create that awareness. It, It is a good vehicle to kind of uh, train and, and, and grow skills in that AI space. But as you operationalize things, I'd, I'd like to see that fold into existing mechanisms. Think about uh, uh, a product or an engineering persona, right? If I'm wearing a product manager's hat and if I suddenly have uh, a security review to do, a privacy review to do, and an AI review to do, it's just adding to it. Where are we going to stop? Right? Uh, you've got to think about that, that user experience there and streamline things for them. For the uninitiated or the uninformed product owner, um, they should say, I'm building this feature. Here are the facts about this feature. I need some guidance. Tell me what it is that I need to do. If it's an AI feature, fantastic. I need to know about bias. I need to know about hallucination. I need to know about how to handle deletion. Uh, if it's not about AI, fantastic. Those considerations are not there. There are other considerations that we can help you with. So I think there's 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 some pragmatism to be applied in terms of operationalizing AI functions. Um, the good thing, though, is I am seeing a lot of traction in that organizations are looking at AI from a privacy standpoint. Just the how is something that's going to evolve over a period of time.
0: Yeah, I think you raise a really good point in terms of the, uh, the potential burden if we introduce yet another, you know, essentially, uh, um, you know, Sequence that you have to run through in order to launch a product, especially where I think we're going to get to. A place. Like right now, AI is like the new, new thing that every is you know feels very novel. But once the hype, you know, sounds down and we go through the trough of disillusionment, and the real work starts, like in five years or you know maybe ten years, um, essentially, AI will just be a component of probably every piece of software. Like you know, software is going to become more adaptive. It's going to become more personal. So you're not gonna be thinking about it as AI as a feature, it's just essentially the way things get built. And at that point, you definitely don't want some kind of like specialized like checklist that you need to run through just for the whatever the AI piece is. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And I think if you really look under the lens, right, we have been living with AI for over a decade now. Uh, AI has been part of our, our, our lives already. Uh, enterprises have already been uh, processing data through machine learning uh, through uh, other ai techniques it's only generative ai that perhaps has uh, come up in the last 12 months that that introduces some some interesting problems but but the proof is in that pudding we've done ai for 10 years we've we've not had to have a dedicated ai governance program what is it that, that we have now that, that, that requires it, right? So I think that's, that's some, some thinking to be had there. Um, and, and perhaps organizations will evolve over a period of time. I think it's still that, that, that approach you mentioned earlier. Uh, early on in the company, you, you tend to get things done uh, as fast as you can. And then over a period of time, you pay off some of that debt. Uh, in this instance, it's the process debt that you're going to pay off over a period of time as you think about how you organize yourselves.
0: You know, what are your thoughts on some of the like AI regulations that are starting to be developed. Or do you think that we need new types of regulations, though, given essentially the the I don't know the new frontier around generative AI?
1: I think this is a very nascent topic. I think there's a lot more to be uh, had in terms of a debate there. Um, I think, from a regulation standpoint, yes, there should be some regulation. Is my my view on it because ultimately. Anywhere that that harm can be done, regulation has been the way we have solved for it. You you look at at the financial industry, um, you've got heavily regulated uh, financial industries, at least in the US, less so uh, externally. You look at crypto, uh, not largely regulated yet in the US, uh, but there's emerging uh, uh, push towards regulation in that space. Again, it's because of the risks that uh, the technology brings. Similarly with AI, there's a lot of good to gain from it, but there's a lot of bad that could happen as well. And I think ultimately some sort of regulation uh, is, is going to be required. Where, where it gets tricky and complex is what is that regulation? Uh, who, who should be regulating? And, and how, how, how should that regulation happen is where perhaps a lot of the debate uh, should be had uh, in the next few months.
0: Yeah, still wants to figure out. Everything's moving quickly, so it's probably going to take a while before people fully understand, or maybe they'll never. But like, you know, it's a tweet. Yeah. Any progress is progress. Yeah.
1: I think we're also uh, going through another uh, kind of uh, an evolution where typically you tend to build rules, regulations, et cetera, based on a set of assumptions. In the AI space, you're seeing those assumptions being broken very, very rapidly. An assumption that is true in month one is perhaps broken in month three because of some of the advancements that have happened, right? The the the, the rapid pace of change, of, of innovation, is going to be something to consider as well. And that's why perhaps regulation needs to contemplate what AI can do in the future and start thinking about that now, uh, building some of the, the the foundational blocks rather than just being reactive and solving for what AI can do today. Because if we do that, it's gonna be obsolete very, very quickly. So,
0: you know, looking ahead, even you know, outside of AI and sort of more to the core of what we're, we've been discussing around the relationship between privacy and other functional areas, what trends or developments do you anticipate in the future as I think more organizations invest in privacy engineering teams, and people have just a better understanding of what they should be doing from a privacy perspective.
1: Yeah, we've talked about privacy and security a lot, Uh, but but there are other functions within organizations like data governance uh, and compliance functions that also sit and have a significant overlap with what privacy teams do right it, they're they're all a venn diagram, they all have their unique things that they solve for, but there's a a common part that kind of applies across the board as well right If you take these four as as an example, compliance, security, governance, and privacy um uh, today typically very kind of decentralized each of these are a team of their own. they go off and solve for things themselves um i think where organizations will move towards uh, in the in the next uh, year or so is thinking about how to consolidate some of these uh, streams into a combination of a common area of centralization with a little bit of decentralization right and that 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 mix and finding the right balance within your organization for how you can optimize how you uh, your investments in these areas is going to be uh, an important challenge that organizations have to solve in order to be able to scale their overall compliance, their overall customer trust uh, narratives. Um, The way to do that is through the lens of technology in my mind, right? If you think about how you're gonna achieve all of these outcomes, security, privacy, compliance, governance, uh, trust, any of these, uh, these outcomes is through technology. And what lays in that technology layer is a lot of primitives that you can piece together to achieve outcomes. So how can you abstract at that layer and say, let me build a, a common team that solves for data protection or customer protection or trust engineering, if you will, right? Call it Trust Engineering, build out all of your primitives there, and on top of that, have your decentralized privacy org that leverages your tools, your security org that leverages tools, your governance org, your compliance org, leverages tools, stitches them together to start to provide outcomes that are specific to their uh, primary charters. So I think moving towards that paradigm is perhaps where uh, organizations will start to focus some some energy on. If they're not, they should. uh, Because... The number of such considerations that are start to, starting to come in are just going to be rapidly growing, that if you don't streamline your investments, uh, the cost of managing your trust is going to rapidly increase.
0: I and mean, then, as we said to wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to share, anything that you, know, you wanted to touch on?
1: Yeah, I think um, I'll, I'll I'll leave it one passing thought, right? Ultimately, uh, even within an organization, there are internal customers that the privacy teams are servicing. These customers are from product, from engineering, from marketing, from HR, from payroll, from all of these teams that process personal data. As you think about uh, the the investments that you make, the technology that you buy uh, or build, uh, the the tools that you build, the mechanisms that you set up, the guidance that you provide, always keep that customer at the back of their mind. Right? Think about simplifying it from their perspective without abstracting it so much that they do not have any ownership over privacy itself, right? Finding that balance where you, you streamline it, make things easy for them while also making sure that the, your your partner teams, your customers recognize the ownership they have on privacy overall is that Im- important balance to, to strike, especially as you work with your cross-functional teams.
0: Okay. I mean, think it's a great place to leave it. Great advice. Thank you so much for coming back and, you know, have a great, holiday and enjoy your your little break before your next adventure and you know we'll have to do this again maybe before we'll wait 12 months next time
1: sounds good sounds good absolutely uh happy to be back and enjoyed this chat as well thanks sean
0: thanks so much cheers